Do we have the young girl on the bus? That's, a, that's, that's not the one, but that's okay. You can play this one. Please watch it. Make it loud, please. It was a hot, sunny Sunday afternoon. I was driving. The roads were empty. Everybody was with family and friends celebrating. And I was shocked when I showed up at the cemetery to see how busy it was. I remember seeing a family standing in one direction, gathered around a plot. I saw another man standing there with his eyes closed, his hands on top of the tombstone. I saw another woman deeply in prayer. And my initial reaction was, come on guys, of all the days of the year to visit the cemetery, you go on Father's Day? And then it quickly dawned upon me. That man with his hands on that tombstone is spending the day with his dad. That woman who's praying, she's spending the day praying next to her father. Those families gathered around the plot, they're all spending Father's Day with their father. All these people are spending Father's Day with their dads. You know, this time of year, high holidays, and every year on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we read the words, Mi Yichya Umi Yamus, who will live and who will die. And it's that intense reality check that our lives and the lives of everyone around us are not forever. I mean, think about last year high holidays. There were people that stood with us last year that won't be standing with us this year. And there are people that will stand with us this year that won't be standing with us next year. But it's not a depressing message. It's a powerful reminder. Don't take our time for granted. This is the time of change now. So let's change now. It's the time of year for forgiveness. Let's forgive now. It's the time of year to start anew. Let's start anew now. Maybe it's a parent who you know you need to visit more. So visit them now. Maybe it's a spouse, you have to say, I love you two more. So say it, say it now. Maybe your kids want you to spend more time with them. So do it now. Now's the time for change, now. 
So often in life we say, one day I'll be a better dad, one day I'll be a better mother, one day I'll be a better spouse, one day I'll be a better Jew. We've got to stop saying one day because maybe one day will never come. This year on Rosh Hashanah, let's not say one day. Instead, let's say day one. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Well, uh, tomorrow we'll, we'll do the little, no, well, we'll leave that for tomorrow. Um, so he said that we have to make every, basically, we have to make every minute count. We have to make our time count. And I really believe that what the Lord is saying to us for this season. No. Right, that was the message. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now the apples and honey. <laughs> But I really believe that the, that the Lord is saying to us this season is repent and change. Repent and change. And you might say, well, yeah, isn't that one of the things you're supposed to, um, you're supposed to think about during Rosh Hashanah? And yes, it is. And, and of course, the Hebrew word is teshuva. Um, but... But what happens is people say, I'm sorry. But then they go on acting the same way without making a change. And I think that repent and change is such, a, it's such an important message for this time, because we don't understand how close it is until the Mashiach returns, until Yeshua returns. And I had a discussion with someone, oh, a few weeks back, and he believed, he was someone, um, he was a Chabad, Jewish person, and he said to me that he felt that Moses was the Messiah, and because Moses was a type of Messiah, and he felt Moses was the Messiah, and, and he said, and we, meaning he and his group, are waiting for Moses to return. And I said, that's great. I said, you have the wrong person, but that's still great that you're waiting for him to return because the Messiah is going to return. And he's going to return soon, and God wants us to make a change. Now, a, a, a lovely little boy was holding two apples with both hands. One here and one here. And his mother came in and softly asked the little boy with a smile, my sweetie, could you give your mom one of your two apples? And the boy looked up at his mom for some seconds and he suddenly took a quick bite on one apple and then quickly on the other apple. <laughs> and the mom tried hard not to reveal her disappointment 
Then the little boy handed one of his bitten apples to his mom and said, Mommy, here you are. This is the sweeter one. <laughs> that was good on the ah meter. <laughs> well, think about it. No matter who you are, no matter who we are, all of us, no matter how experienced we are, no matter how knowledgeable we are, no matter how, how much we think we are, which we are nothing, but in Messiah, we, he sees us, God sees us as different. It's not because of us, it's because of Messiah. But no matter what we think, we have to realize that sometimes we judge someone. And we judge someone because maybe they've done something wrong to hurt us. But God doesn't want us to judge because just look what happened with that little boy. See, someone would have judged how rude that is of that boy. No, how wonderful it was of that boy because he really wanted his mother to have the best. And so repent and change means not, not judging but coming together as best as possible, asking for forgiveness as best as possible. You may not have done anything wrong. It might have been the other person who did wrong. But still, make peace. God wants us to make peace. He wants us to be one. He wants us to come together and this congregation was built on the ministry of reconciliation. That was the ministry that Rachel and I had all those years when we were in um, first Broward County, then Palm Beach County for all those years. And we began this synagogue with a ministry of reconciliation where um, there were three groups and... You were there, weren't you? Yeah, you were there. right. There were, there were three groups, and he, neither group was talking to the other group. And what we did is the Lord just put on my heart to get some bowls of water, and Rachel and I would wash the feet of the leaders of each congregation or group, whatever it was, would wash the feet, and then they were supposed to wash the feet of each other. In other words, there's supposed to be peace, and that happened, and from that point on, children that didn't talk to each other because they weren't allowed, all of a sudden, were drawn together. And this is the spirit of our, of our congregation. I want to read um, a, a story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read parts from it. 
But in, in the 1930s, during America's Great Depression, and by the way, I have permission to read this. It was, um, it was from um, Ron Walters, Senior Vice President of Ministry Relations of Salem. And um, in the 1930s, during America's Great Depression, with 12 million out of work and national morale in a free fall, abounded onto the scene this feisty spirit himself, a product of tortured life, infused hope into the hearts of a deep, bankrupt nation. Single-handedly, he lifted a beleaguered America off its collective knees. And do we know who the hero's name was? The hero was Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit, the horse, right. A racehorse down on his luck with the American people. Seabiscuit was not the typical racehorse. Though he carried the genes of the um, mighty man of war, he didn't look like he didn't look like it because his legs were too short and his neck was too thick. And as he ran, his legs flailed slightly outward in a slinging motion. He, um, he wanted his heritage, but he, had, um, he, but he wanted to run like his heritage, and he was fast, and really fast. However, among the racing's elite, perception and performance were considered equals. Perception and performance. Think about it. God is not looking, is not telling us to look at the perception that this person is not liking you or this person is speaking about you or this person did something wrong. He's telling you to look at the performance. What is, how is the person speaking to you? Does the person love you? Did, is he willing to do anything for you? And if he has made a mistake, are you telling him that there's something wrong here? I'm holding something against you. God wants us to repent, but to change. And Seabiscuit predictably lost, because of his short legs and everything, he lost his first 17 races. And a dozen trainers tried to temper the speedy horse, and a dozen trainers failed. Their one-size-fits-all exercises um, uh, uh, didn't do anything. And Seabiscuit would have none of it. And then they got this man, Tom Smith, a quiet man, a loner, a horse whisperer. After watching for the first time, Smith lamented, they've got him so messed up that he's forgotten what he was born to do. And this Tom Smith spoke to the horse and trained him with love. And even though this horse was different, he trained him. He gave him the spirit of love. And anyone who has a, a pet knows that your pets 
can receive love. And he, so he started to, he started to train him, and he, and he, was, he was getting better and better, and, and people were saying, no, he's still no good, this, look at him. To settle the debate, a match race was arranged for Seaviscuit to run against the greatest horse of the day, which was called, which was called um, w War Admiral. And he had an incomparable track record, an impressive reputation, and, and he was a four-to-one favorite. 40,000 spectators filled the grandstands at Pimlico Racecourse with another 10,000 perched outside in trees to catch a glimpse. Another 40 million people listened to the race by radio, including President Roosevelt, who stopped his cabinet meeting to listen to this, because this was something that all of America was waiting for. And for the next one minute and 56 seconds, America came to a standstill. At the opening bell, Seabiscuit bolted in front and remained there for the first three-quarter mile. Then along the back, Seabiscuit eased up, allowing War Admiral to catch him. When he did, Seabiscuit, in typical style, looked his rival looked in his rival's eyes. He looked, and he looked away, and then he looked again. And after he looked, he pulled away again, winning by a shocking four lengths, and the crowds went wild. So what does that have to do with repent and change? Well, if, if there's one constant in the teaching, it's warning that the good news, the Bible, what we read, the good news is not in step with the ways of, with the ways of the world. And God wants us to be like Tom Smith was. Basically, what Tom Smith did is he, he spoke love to the horse. Well, basically, what God wants us to do is to repent for the ways we are and to speak love to the world. And how do we speak love to the world? We have to proclaim the good news of Messiah. And we can't let anything stop us from proclaiming. Our job is to reteach his people just like Tom Smith did. He retaught Seabiscuit, and our job is to let the Lord shine so we can, as vessels of the Lord, can, can reteach his people and remind them of what they were born to do. And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that we're here tonight. Because we were born to proclaim the word. We were born to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We were born to love our neighbor as ourself. We were born for what it seems impossible. It seems like the odds are stacked, stacked against us. But in every generation... In every generation, 
God does the undoable. And then, and how does God want us to do it? God wants us to do it with a willing heart. If we look at 2 Chronicles 29, it's the story about Hezekiah. I'm going to turn to that 2 Chronicles 29. We look at Hezekiah, who became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the eyes of Adonai, just as his father did. And if we look at verse 3, it says, and by the way, doing right in the eyes of the Lord is really important because you have to under, understand you have to understand that Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz who had led Judah into idolatry. He didn't act like his father who led people into idolatry. He acted the way God wanted, like his, his father David, his great, great, great grandfather David. And you know what? God wants us to be the same way. And if we hold on to anger, and if we hold on to unforgiveness, then we, like Judah at that time, we're holding on to idolatry because we're putting that on top of our God. And so what did Hezekiah do? Verse 3 he opened the doors of the house of Adonai and repaired them. And I want to tell you, if you would have seen the team of people who were here, and, and most of you are here tonight, the team who were here, putting this together and really working for Adonai, for our God, for Hashem, for the Lord, the King. These people were showing what repentance is because repentance is not just saying, oh, Lord, I sinned and forgive me. It's doing something. It's showing. When, when uh, Rutledge took the, uh, received the offering, he he said, that's what he said. He said, you have to have a willing heart. And these are all things what Hezekiah did of a willing heart. Verse 5 says, sanctify yourself and your house. That means remove the defilement from your mind, from your heart, from your desires, and remove the defilement from your house. I remember at times when, uh, when we after we first came to the Lord, and the, the Lord put on our heart to just remove the defilement from our house. And so we took things that we thought were defilement, and um, we got rid of it, and, well, 
we kind of made a mistake because <laughs> why did we make a mistake? Because it really wasn't defilement. We thought it might have been. We thought it might have been defilement, but there were, it was some things. Uh, some things that were worth a lot, but we thought it was defilement, so we just got rid of it. We uh, we really cleansed our house, but we we just got rid of it. But in those things, we made a mistake. But God blessed us anyway. No, we didn't get it back. And do we wish that we still had it? Sure. <laughs> but it, it was it's nothing bad. It was just things that we thought were bad. But we were willing. Do we have a willing heart to get rid of that stuff in our life that does not, that stops us from, have, from doing the best with God, doing our best. Does God love us any less? No. And if we get rid of things in our life, does God love us any more? No. He loves us unconditionally. That's why he died on the tree for us. But he, we have to have a willing heart. Now, verse 10, he says, Make a covenant with him. Can we do that? Can we make a covenant and keep it? A covenant with him. Say, Lord, I've been so sinful in this area, Lord God. It's so wrong, and you put it on my heart. Lord, I want to make a covenant with you that I'm not going to do it again. And Lord, if you see I start to do it, please help me. It's a willing heart. And, that, and verse 17, he conse consecrated the house. Have we consecrated ourselves to the Lord? Yes, I know we're covered by the blood. But do we act it? Do we speak it? Do we do what we are called to do like, like Tom Smith did with Seabiscuit? Do we proclaim the word of the Lord? And when we proclaim it, can people receive it from us because we're not being hypocritical? And verse 18 says they purified the house. They got rid of everything. And we have to get rid of everything within ourselves and our house that doesn't belong. And then verse 27, with a willing heart, then it says what Rabbi Rutledge was speaking about, and that is they gave a sacrifice offering. You know, people think that, oh, well, okay, just it's time. I got to give, I got to write a check. I got to give an offering. It's not that. It's a sacrifice offering. It's giving is unto the Lord. Can we allow ourselves to think how blessed it is to give? And and you know something I've seen over and over and over in ministry where I've spoken to some people who I just know that they're not giving, and, and I've spoken to them, and we have, um, and they didn't want to give, and then things happened. Things happened to them, and then when, th and then when things happened to them, that which they would have given would have had a far more reaching effect than how much it cost them because they didn't want, they didn't want to give. 
And then verse 29, they knelt and they worshipped. So it's all about, it's repentance is all about a willing heart. It's not about saying words that don't mean anything. It's all about a willing heart. Now, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 6 says, At the king's command, the couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his officials saying, Repent and return to God. Shuvah Yisrael, repent, O Israel. Repent, repent and turn to God. But what happened? What happened? What happened is in verse 10 to 12, as the couriers traveled from town to town through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, and as far as Zebulun, they were scorned and they were mocked. They were scorned and they were mocked. Nevertheless, some humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. When we proclaim the word to people, we're going to be scorned and mocked. We're not going to be included in certain groups that we would love to be included in. And many will say, "Get away! I don't want to know that. But we, were, we might be scorned and mocked. But it says, and some humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Because there will be those that will humble themselves, not to us, humble themselves to the Lord and come to the Lord. So, what must we do? We must repent, understand that this is a time of judgment. And God wants us to understand that we need to have a fear of him, a reverent fear of him, not a fear of man. So what are the rewards of repentance? Well, first of all, we read in Scripture, and it doesn't say in the Torah that there's a time of judgment, but it says in many areas in the Torah, it says Psalm 96 and 98, say, both conclude with God is coming to judge the earth, who will judge the world in righteousness and peoples in faithfulness, and it is said that there is a day of judgment. It says in the Brit Hadashah that there's a day of judgment, and, and Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment, and that will be fulfilled in that day of judgment. How many are looking forward to the judgment? Raise your hand. <laughs> I wouldn't even raise my hand. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my hand. But, but the thing is, we don't look forward to, to judgment, but thank God... He looks at us through the blood of Messiah. And that's great. Can we be excited about that? Through the blood of Messiah. Praise the Lord. 
Acts 17, verse 30 to 32 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But by your hand, an unrepentant heart. We need a willing heart, not an unrepentant heart. You are storing up for wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will pay back each person according to his deeds. Doesn't that sound a little scary? Thank God he looks at us through the blood of Messiah. To those who by perseverance in doing good are seeking glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth they, and obey unrighteousness, wrath, and fury, there will be trouble and hardship. The rewards of repentance. One, chazach. When we repent, he will make us strong. He will strengthen us. Two is healing. Chazak will make us stronger. And, and two, there'll be healing. He is Adonai Rafecha. He is the Lord who heals us. And then, and then, and, and Hezekiah found this out. It made him stronger, and he also made him, he made him stronger, and he healed him. And then, finally, um, in 2 Chronicles, it speaks about he had the victory. And how many of us would like to have victory in our life? Raise your hand if you want to have victory in your life. Well, we all want to have victory, and we all have something that we want to have the victory in. And you know something? As you get closer and closer to leaving this world through death, your eyes open up and they see in the spiritual realm. And I've said this many times and I'll say it again. We saw in Nancy back in 2000, was it 2005 or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, 12 years ago, so 2006. We saw Nancy um, and we were visiting her in the hospital and went, we were there for a long time, and then we left. We said, well, we got to leave. And um, she said, all right, well, I'll see you on the other side. And we left, and we thought we didn't know what that meant. And within the next few minutes, she went to be with the Lord. Yeah, right. That was, that was just amazing. The, we prayed for her. and prayed for, it, It's like we prayed for her on her entrance into her new journey, her eternal journey. So bottom line, and tomorrow we're going to talk about all different ways of how we can change, different practical ways of how we can change. Well, let's end with it's time to repent and change. It's time to rise up and be focused on the one who has given us eternal life. It is time for a spiritual war. It is time for us to move in the battlefield of spiritual war. As we, more, as we war, we must know that we fight from the victory and the covenant relationship. We are fighting as a winner. We already won. So let's get into that battle. Let's get into that battle and let's 
make that covenant with Hashem. Let's make that covenant that this year, this year, we will get rid of the things that defile us. And this year, Lord, we're going we're gonna to battle from the side of victory. Lord, you already won the battle, and he wants us to stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just bless you, Lord, and we ask, Lord God, that as we all get excited about winning the victory and being on the side of the victory, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us, help us, help us fulfill the covenant with you, Lord God. Lord, we know you love us so much, but help us. And now we're going to end with the shofar service. The blowing of the shofar. have the shofar and then we will sing a don alam and then we'll have the um, blessing over the over the challah and the apples and the ironic benediction will serve the apples and the honey <clears throat> Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kirishano Bidvaracha Bitsivano Veshemoa Kol Shofar Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who has sanctified us by your, by your word and commanded us to hear the Shofar call. <clears throat> Tikia Shavarim Terua Tikia Tikia Shavarim Tekia Tekia Terua Tekia Tekia Gadola
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Adon Olam Hashem Beterim ko yisenivra lehedna so bechesoko azemele shemoni kravechare keli leho hachoko levado yemlid nora. Vehu haya, vehu hove, vehu iye, vehu echad, vein sheni, leam beli reshit, beli tachlit, velo haol, vema mizra, vehu aili. Vehigo Ali, Veso Hevli, Beat Sarah, Vehu Nisi, Umanosli, Megnar Kosi, Beomehwa, Beado Afihei, Beat Ishan, Veaira, Veim Rohi. Gaviati Adonai Veloira. Hallelujah. And what we sang, Lord of the world who reigned before any form was created. When creation came about by his will, then as king was his name proclaimed to be. And after all, he, after all ceased to be, he alone will reign in awesome power. And he was, and he is, and shall be eternally in splendor. And he is first, and there is no second, to compare to him, to be his equal without beginning and without end. He has a strength and dominion, and he is my God, my living redeemer, and the rock of my pain in times of trouble. And he is my banner and a refuge for me, the portion of my cup in the day I call upon him. In his hands I entrust my spirit, in the time I sleep or am awake, and with my spirit, my body, the Lord is with me, I shall fear not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise, <clears throat> Holy name. Praise God. Hallelujah.